This is exactly right. Forgive me for interrupting. I'm Bridger Weiniger, host of I Said No Gifts on Exactly Right. Each week, I invite my favorite people in comedy over to chat, and they always bring a gift. We're coming up on our 200th episode, and every episode is a gem. I have welcomed all kinds of great guests, including Cola Scola, Bowen Yang, Robbie Hoffman. It goes on and on and on. And you don't want to miss the 200th episode with the great Maria Bamford. What does she bring me? Find out April 25th. New episodes every Thursday. Follow I Said No Gifts wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Uh, This is Nick Terry, uh, guest hosting My Favorite Murder, which is very exciting. Uh, If you don't know who I am, I'm the creator of MFM Animated. If you don't know what that is, uh, you should go to Exactly Right Media's YouTube channel and check it out. Uh, I've been uh, doing these animations uh, officially in an official capacity for MFM just for a couple months now, but I've been doing them overall for about three years. Uh, basically since I started listening to the podcast, which I've been a big fan of since that time. I'm super excited to be here, so let's get into it. first story we're going to hear is from Georgia. It's from episode 186, Sprankers, and it's all about stories of people buried alive. I picked this one because, I don't know, this is one of those fears that I think we all have. There's actually a part during this story where Karen says something like, taphophobia is the fear of being buried alive, but I would call it just being a human being, and I agree with that. I don't consider myself claustrophobic, but sometimes I just think about what it would be like to wake up buried in a coffin, and I get panicky. So, let's get panicky together and uh, hear Georgia talk about the weird Victorian panic that that led to safety coffins and all the weird nonsense around that. Enjoy! But wait. But wait, there's more? Here's the weird thing. What? You did the same story? No. I'm doing stories... Of people being accidentally buried alive. No, you're not. Swear to fucking God. What? How crazy is it? That's why I was like, so We should have saved this for Halloween. Do you think after a while we have the same brain? (laughs) It's like we, these won't be, this is just how it's going to be. Where it's like, well, then I also. Well, I really love that we opened this up a little this new, after the break to like weird tales and, and stuff that's outside the realm of just. Straight up murder. This is literally buried alive in a grave. <laughs> How fucking crazy. I love it. Okay. So sorry, this whole time you've just been sitting yep. over there with your little sit. That's why you had that smile on your face. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is unbelievable. <laughs> okay. Uh, got, I specifically got this when I was just searching for weird shit and found a ranker article called Scary Stories of People Who Are Buried Alive. Oh. I was like, great, I'm doing this. God bless you, ranker. Um, also got a story from Reuters about a dead man who wakes up under the autopsy knife. Spoiler alert. Oh, um, autopsy. Okay. Yeah. No, we'll get there. We'll get there. History collection, amusingplanetpopsci.com, all that's interesting.com, Wikipedia, of course. Of course. So Wikipedia and then research was from uh, Lily Bellinghausen, who's been helping me with research. God bless. Okay. Uh, uh, amen. A fucking man. All right. So, Karen. Yes. 
Cases of being buried alive have been recorded as far back as the 14th century. Jesus. And I don't think they recorded shit before that. So. Yeah, there was there was no <laughs> no ability to record. No. Ink got invented yeah. right around that they same time. They had a, what, what is the thing we've recorded on the beginning of this podcast when we first started? A Zoom? They didn't have Zooms after the, <laughs> before the 1400s, so it wasn't recorded. <laughs> In 1308. It's too long to chisel it into a big piece of stone. <laughs> right. Like, forget it. And then you got to have the headphones, like, so you look like Steven, and they have to have the mustache, and that takes forever. Ugh. So, in 1308, the vault of Franciscan philosopher John Duns Scotus is open, and his body is reportedly found in, outside of his coffin with bloodied hands. No. Uh, a lot of bloodied hands and nails in this story. I bet. Just want to let everyone know. Of all the things I hate, and there are many things I hate about being buried alive... <laughs> The smallness of a cu- waking up in a casket, the smallness of the space that you then have to suffer in. Yeah. I think that's the, the fear that everyone has. Like when I was reading through this and you'll hear like the like panic that everyone has about the idea of being buried alive, I think has a lot to do with the idea that you're fucking stuck, stuck once you're awake. in a tiny place and that scratching your way out is pretty much your only hope. Yeah. Horrifying. Here we go. Great. Um, Happy Halloween, everybody. <laughs> Well, this story is considered a myth. Oh, the fear of being buried oh. alive became a pandemic during the Victorian era. Yes. That was fucking crazy Victorians. Everything great and the creepiest of all creepy things yeah. happened during then. Fogs that would come upon oh. the city and fogs and bustles and, and pandemics. Pandemics and lots of child death. Right. Listen to uh, listen to this podcast will kill you for more information. Yes. In the 18th and 19th centuries, there was widespread bacterial infections and cholera cholera outbreaks. And in addition to the popular literature like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and Edgar Allan Poe's uh, 1844 premature burial, there's also reports from doctors about people supposedly coming back from the dead. Tapophobia, I think, um, (laughs) is the fear of being buried alive. And that spreads across Europe and the US and leads to the invention. And I've always been obsessed with this idea. Safety coffins. Love it. Okay. Safety coffins or security coffins are a coffin fitted with a a mechanism to prevent premature burial or allow the occupant to signal that they have been buried alive. Yeah. A large number of designs for safety coffins were patented during the 18th and 19th centuries, um, and variations on the idea are still available today. Is that true? I got That's what it's, Lily said it is, and I believe her. <laughs> I believe Lily. You know what's funny is that tapophobia is the name for the fear of being buried alive. I would call it being a human being. <laughs> like, Yeah, it's not claustrophobia. It's not tapophobia. It's just be, if you are alive now, you have that fear. You're like, guess what would suck? Peeing my pants. <laughs> Being buried alive. And then what's another one? Choking. Biting into an old sandwich. Ew, yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Eating a salad and finding a cockroach at the bottom of it. At the bottom once you're all done. A live cockroach. A live cockroach. You ate the... First of all, who eats the entire salad? Yeah. Usually you only get about two thirds of the way down. This time you finished your salad Mm -hmm. and writers are like, ooh, one last crouton. No. No, it isn't. (laughs) God, I'm gonna barf. <laughs> okay. Um, the most popular designs use some some type of device for communication to the outside world, like a cord attached to a bell that the buried person could just ring in case they woke up. It's, uh, that idea. I think you talked about this in another a live show one time. Yes. Yeah. Because we. I get to what I talked about. Oh, okay. Sorry. No, no, no. Keep but talking. I just want to say. That it's like a a person who makes set who makes sets and props for a horrible play. Yeah, was like, what would be the <laughs> creepiest thing this coffin could do? Yeah, it, ring. It's so 
<laughs> what so say awful. you're you're the you're the grave digger and you're standing in the cemetery in the middle of the early morning whistling. What's the creepiest thing you could hear? How about a bell? Ding-a-ling-a-ling. Ding. Also, how do those bells not go off when just the okay. wind... Co- oh, well, sorry, sorry. No, no, no. You're right. And in addition to that... <laughs> shit, I should have let you finish. Okay. No, no, no. Um, okay, so... I uh, should let you actually tell your story <laughs> instead of not, guessing. That's not this podcast. Okay, you're right. Remember, we are buried alive in a grave. That's true. Um, <laughs> other variations of the bell include flags and pyrotechnics... What? I don't know. That's all Lily fucking told me. And I was like, this could be a whole episode of its own. You wake up in your coffin and M80 goes off (laughs) above four. And then a fireworks show. Ooh. And then the gravedigger there's like, ooh, ah, and then walks away. Yeah. It doesn't help you. (laughs) Um, Some burial designs include ladders, escape hatches, and even feeding tubes. But most of them lacked a method to provide air. Remember air? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Remember air? (laughs) Also, yeah, you're buried alive. You don't want a snack. No. Don't worry about the feeding tube. Yeah, you know, you don't want to live longer. Send me down an apple, would you? (laughs) No. Or just a mush apple. Okay. In the 17th. Applesauce. Is that what you mean? That's. Wait, they invented a thing? Yes. That's just a mushed apple? You don't just have to mush your apples anymore. Wait, what? Yeah. The time and expense I have been going to. There's a family, name a Mott, and they figured <laughs> out how to mush up your favorite apples. Well, God bless them. Amen. Amen. In 1791, Robert Robinson, I doubt that, <laughs> a man from Manchester, creates the first safety coffin prototype. Uh, he was laid to rest in a mausoleum fitted with a special door that could be opened from the outside by the watchman on duty. So inside his would be his coffin and there'd be a removable glass panel. And he instructed his family to periodically check on the glass inserted in the coffin, basically to see if he had, was breathing, if there was condensation. Sure, Dad. We will. No, Dad will be Absolutely. there every day. You oh, are, my God. You, can you imagine what his, like living life was like it was very stressful for all the family such a pain in the ass yeah. um the first tr- am i dead did i die no <laughs> you're sitting here at dinner it's fine yes we can sm- can you stop breathing in my face you were breathing yes you were breathing the first true recorded safety coffin was made on the orders of duke ferdinand of brunswick before his death in 1792 he had a window installed to allow light in an air tube provided uh, that provided the supply of fresh air and instead of having his, the lid nailed down he had a lock fitted <laughs> and in a pocket of his shroud when he, he was buried in he had keep the keys for them perfect you got it and then figured a re- it out and a really cute keychain yeah with said, like a do- dolphin magic. Yeah. That says, here you go. <laughs> Keep JK living. <laughs> and when you turn it this way, the dolphin has a bathing suit on. When you turn it that way, the dolphin's bathing suit comes off. The dolphin has a humongous erect penis. <laughs> and it attacks you because dolphins are rapists. Does the penis, penis have a bathing suit on it? <laughs> and it's bathing suit after bathing suit falls off. The pen is very thick. It's complicated. It, it was actually the pen that killed him. It, Crushed him to death. (laughs) He invented it. It crushed him. (laughs) What? Okay. So a German priest named P.J. Pessler suggested in 1798 that all coffins have a tube inserted so that a cord could run to the church bells. Mm. And if an individual (laughs) had... (laughs) Oh, what's that you say? An individual (laughs) had been buried. I've only had one can of wine, I swear to God. Why are there two sitting there? Because I'm drinking the other one. It just hasn't been drank yet. Girl. Girl. 
up in my head. Uh, check my wine. Um, okay, so they could draw attention to themselves by ringing the bell inside. They'd be like, ding, 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 ding. You're ringing the church bells now. You want the whole town to come. I guess so. Yeah. Um, so this led to, to signaling systems that came around. Uh, but unfortunately, the coffins... Oh, wait. So then his his bro, a colleague of his, was like, well, we should put trumpet-like tubes instead. So a trumpet instead of bells. Yes. Which is more annoying. And more haunting. Um, each day, the local <laughs> priest... I'm alive. <laughs> Still alive. Each day, the local priest could check the state of... Oh, okay. Wait. All right. The other thing is that they would have a small trumpet-like tube attached. And the point of that is not so you can blow your fucking trumpet when you realize you've been buried alive. Okay. But so that a local priest would go to the cemetery and smell each of the trumpet funnels mm-hmm. and make sure that the that there was decomposition happening. That the smell of the odors emanating from the tube would be that of decomp, not of a live person just shitting their pants or whatever. The priests are like, have we not given up enough by never marrying, uh, (laughs) taking a vow of poverty? I wrote, above my pay grade. (laughs) (laughs) They don't get paid, though, do they? No. Well, I don't know. They get paid by going straight to heaven. That's right. First in line, bitches. (laughs) Unless. Uh Uh-oh. It's you or me. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Adolf Gutsmuth was buried alive several times to demonstrate uh, a safety coffin of his design. And in 1822, he stayed underground for several hours and ate a whole meal. What? Which I'm like, What's this eating in the coffin situation? Delivered to him through the coffin's feeding tube. No, you people are fools. Get up and go to a restaurant. (laughs) It's a really lovely experience. (laughs) So nice. In 1829, Dr. Johann Gottfried Taberger, okay, created a more elaborate bell signaling system. Um, So bells housed above ground connected to strings attached to the body's head, head, only one, hands and feet. And... um, and it prevented rainwater from going into the tube, blah, blah, blah. If the bell rang, the cemetery watchman would insert a tube into the coffin and pump air in using bellows until the casket would, could be dug up so they'd have fresh air. That's the most... I like that one the best so far. Here's the problem. Uh-oh. And this is the anecdote I must have fucking told because it's one of my absolute favorites that I must have read it as a child and loved <laughs> so much. Well, when a corpse is de- decomposing and swelling and losing mass and all this shit... Everything moves. And so the bells would start going off. Oh, that's right. Ding, 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 ding. ding. Nope, it's not someone alive. And so like all the bells going off at once. Can you imagine? The first time that happened, whoever was nearby died of a heart attack. There's (laughs) no way they didn't. That's right. This is insanity. Uh Uh-huh. So they would all activate the bell system, which led to false positives. The Uh, worst false positive in the world. (laughs) Well, uh... I can think of a couple. Not really. Franz Vester's 1868 burial case overcame this problem by adding a tube through which the corpse, the face of the corpse could be viewed. Oh, I remember that one. Really? Yeah. If the buried person woke up, they could ring the bell like they wanted to. Um, and then the watchman could check to see if the person had actually returned to life or was just movement of the corpse. So that was basically the uh, the 2.0 version. Once they yeah. realized the bells were ringing, then they're like, OK, well, then go look at it. Yeah, and enough priests had quit because they're like, I'm not <laughs> sniffing these fucking tubes anymore. Not going to smell those dead bodies anymore. Because mm. they were always smelling a dead body. Yeah. There was no time they weren't. Right, because it's still going to pass. In 1995, a modern safety coffin, coffin, 
was patented by Fabrizio Caselli. His design included an emergency alarm, intercom system, a flashlight, a breathing apparatus, and both a heart monitor and stimulator. A corkscrew and a nail file. (laughs) Despite the fear of burial while still alive, there's no documented cases of anybody being saved by a safety coffin. (laughs) Oh, man. What a great life lesson. They they just should have keep inventing them. They'd have gotten better and better. I mean, it's like... I have this fear, and instead of dealing with the fear that I have, I'm going to continually invent things to make me feel like anything can be done if a bad thing happens to me. Or maybe like add one more check to the at the morgue to just double check that the person's dead. How about you stab him right in one of the arms? Would that wake you up? That would wake you right up. A poke in the ear, maybe? Ow. With a feather? A or tickle. just how about smelling salts? I guess it does not have to be violent. Tickle. A tickle. <laughs> I'd wake up. Okay. But the practice of modern day embalming has, for the most part, eliminated the fear of premature burial. <laughs> That's pretty much going to solve it. Thanks. <laughs> um, because no one has ever survived that process once completed. Oh, I wonder how many people got embalmed when they were still alive. You're like, well, I still have my spleen. Yeah. Ring, so. ring, 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 ring. <laughs> That's all I need. Um, it's been thought that phrases like saved by the bell, dead ringer, and graveyard shift come from the use of safety coffins. Why do I keep doing that? Coftins? Uh-huh. Like you're thinking of caftans. Or attic. An attic. Yeah. Um, in the Victorian era, but these have been dispelled as an urban myth um, oh. attributed to a linguistic email hoax that was uh, <laughs> blah, 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 said that saved by the bell is actually from boxing. <laughs> So shut up. But that's interesting because it really does apply. But it does sound like Dead Ringer could be from that. Yeah. I I would love to be on any kind of a hoax email chain involving linguists. Remember all those email chains that used to be a thing? Send this to five people or you're going to get smushed. My <laughs> Also, there was one where it was like, fill out this thing. Yeah. Did you ever do that one where it was like, you basically, you get the name of a person, you fill out all these things about them and then send it to them and then they do it for somebody else? No. We did it in our family. It was, I can't really explain that process logically, but basically... <laughs> Um, I got one, my, like, ever all my cousins and all these people did it. And then it came around and my dad sent me mine. <gasps> and then, and the one thing he was like, the, it was some like, you had to say like nice things about these people and what yeah. they're like and whatever. And like, uh, I think he said my best attribute and he said smart. He just put <laughs> smart. And I was does like, he hate you. He does a lot, but. <laughs> It was really exciting because all my life he'd always been like, hey, easy, smart ass. It was always oh, kind of like a yeah. negative. And suddenly I was like, you liked it this whole yeah. time. You were egging me on. <laughs> he was like not trying to get you to stop. <laughs> That's right. That's sweet. Do you still have it? The email? I bet you could find it. I printed it up. I put it in a frame. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Okay. So here's some cases of people being buried alive. Ready? I am. Uh, in November 1656. Oh, wait. So it really did happen. It's just that they weren't saved by those coffins. Oh, yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Shit. Shit. Okay, I get it, but I these get are it. also like they didn't. Uh, these people weren't buried in these coffins either. But these are people who right. were. Who, you'll find out. Okay. Here got we go. It. In November 1656, Alice Davies is married to William Blunder of the Basking of Baxingstoke, a man from a well-established <laughs> local family. They're like they're like nobles and shit like that. Sure. Um, what country does it say? England, probably. Yes, probably. Okay. William Blunder was a malt maker and his wife, quote, had accustomed herself to many times to drink brandy. 
So sure. she drank a lot. One She'd e- accustomed herself to it. Yeah, me too. One evening, she drank a large quantity of poppy water and fell into a deep sleep that no one could wake her from. Uh, opium. <laughs> oh, right. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Just like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. Uh, it was concluded that she had died, and William, being the amazing, sweet, wonderful husband he is, was like, hey, I have to go to London really quick, keep her body there, I swear I'll come right back for the funeral. <laughs> what was he doing? I don't know, <laughs> but it was really important, I guess. Um, but her her family was like, fuck that shit, it's hot out, we're not leaving her body out to rot. Like, He's like, I got tickets to go see Big Ben, I'm stoked. <laughs> I'm gonna go see the Book of Mormon, and I can't, or the new flea bag screen <laughs> live, live show, show. yes um, so they were like fuck that shit we're, we're gonna bury her so then a few days after the burial a few uh, some boys who had been playing nearby reported hearing a voice from the grave they uh, didn't think it was real but uh, the grave was open and her body was found it looked like she was beaten but in actuality it was injuries inflicted by herself on her body in her confinement oh. yeah so um so being unable to detect any continuing signs of life, those present at the scene, they put Alice back in the grave overnight and the coroner summoned the next day. And uh, they had found that she tore off a great part of her winding sheet, scratched herself in several places, beaten her mouth so long it was filled with blood. And she was now definitely dead. Sorry, are you saying she was buried alive twice? The second time she was dead. Great. That's a huge relief to me. I think and hope. (laughs) I think they would have left her out just to make sure, you know? You you would hope that they would make double sure, but, you know, most of the stories on the show don't go that well. Yeah, exactly. Um, No one's convicted or, like, gets in trouble for this, although the town had a considerable fine that they had to pay because of this. (laughs) The whole town? I guess the whole town. We're all going down together. Yeah, like, this sucks on all of our parts. Yeah. So in 1880, here's another one, 1884, Kentucky's Hickman Courier reported that a young woman by the name of Anna Hockwalt is dressing for her brother's wedding. She sits down to rest in the kitchen, as we all do, and then uh, someone checks on her and she's just laying there with her head against the wall and appears lifeless. Uh, medical aid arrives and the doctor thought she was dead. He couldn't revive her. And she had a, a nervous nature and the fact that she suffered from heart palpitations was the cause cause of death they mm. said mm-hmm. but Anna's friends were like this doesn't seem fucking real and her ears look pink still her friend said so they figured blood was still flowing through them mm-hmm. her friends must have just gotten drunk at the fucking funeral though because they didn't tell her family about this and their assumption until after she's buried great friends no yeah. parents you know what I was thinking remember when her ears were pink I just think she's still alive <laughs> Her parents are like, what the fuck? They dig her back up and they find Anna's body. She's lying on her side. Her fingers are not almost to the bone. Yeah. And her hair is torn out by the handful. Of course. I mean, all bets are off. No. You wake up in that situation. You're like, can I just kill me? Yeah. In 1889, a woman named Octavia Smith married a wealthy Kentuckian named James Hatcher. They had a son named Jacob, but the um, infant mortality rate was so high back then that they that this Jacob died in infancy. And Octavia goes into a deep depression. She's bedridden and she shows signs of a mysterious illness. And eventually she enters a coma like state and no one can wake her up. She's pronounced dead in May of 1891, just four months after her infant son died. Oh, 
Um, it was super hot that year, so Octavius buried quickly, and embalming wasn't a common practice yet. But a few days later, um, other people in the town began falling into a similar similar coma-like state that she had with shallow breathing patterns, and they wake up a few days later, though. They discover it is an illness caused by the bite of the setsi fly. Titsi. Thank you. Titsi <laughs> fly. <laughs> Fearing that she'd been buried alive, her husband James panics, has her exhumed, um, and she had a, she had been buried alive, oh. but James was too late. Oh, no. Her coffin was airtight. He found the coffin lining had been shredded, and Octavia's fingernails were bloody. Yes, that, yes. So many bloody fingernails. And her face was frozen in a um, shriek of terror. Yes. I believe that. James is traumatized as fuck. He I mean. reburies his wife, erects a lifelike monument of her that sits in the cemetery that she's still buried in. I know. Ooh. Um, Does it say where? It is, I think Kentucky was where they're from. Kentucky. Yeah. I mean, that's, there's a mausoleum you want to go visit. Oh, my God. At midnight on Halloween. No. Should we do it? Let's record. <laughs> Let's record on Halloween from a fucking cemetery. Inside a mausoleum. Want to? As many people as can fit. So it'll be like an 11 person live show. <laughs> and we'll all be screaming at the top of our lungs what the entire time. What was that? Okay. Eleanor Markham is an American woman who became one of the most prominent cases of of averted premature burial in oh the 19th century. According to news reports, 22-year-old uh, Markham, Eleanor Markham, was pronounced dead in Sprankers, New York. <laughs> which is like, what? How have I not known about that? You know what I would love? If Lily misspelled Yonkers. <laughs> Sprankers! <laughs> if Sprankers is real, we're doing an only Sprankers hometown mini episode next week. <laughs> Sprankers. Stephen, do you mind Wikipedia? He's already doing just, it. When George, he's already, of course he is. When George is done, we can do a quick update on is what Sprankers is all about. Oh my God, it's real. Oh, <laughs> Lily, you're off the hook. Yeah, Sprankers is a hamlet in the town of Root, Montgomery, uh, New York. Wow, Sprankers. No- notable people, uh, George A. Mitchell, founder of Cadillac. Oh, is from Sprankers? It's from Sprankers. Fuck. <laughs> And that's why every Cadillac has the trademarked Sprankers handle on the driver's side. <laughs> please send us Sprankers hometown and put in the subject line Sprankers hometown. We so, need, please write it. Sprankers, bitch. Please in, just keep in the subject line. Please let us keep saying the word Sprankers. It's our favorite word. Wow. Okay. Uh, this is July 8th, 1894. <laughs> How am I 50 and I've never heard the t- town name of Sprankers, New York? They're fiercely private. I'm so tired <laughs> of people keeping things from me. It does feel like people are always keeping shit from us. It feels like people are talking behind our back about Sprankers. <laughs> like everyone knows about it but us. They refuse to tell us. Should we go to Sprankers? This is the only podcast that doesn't know about Sprankers. It's so sad when they talk and they don't know about Sprankers. <laughs> and they don't mention Sprankers every five minutes. Okay. She's dead, they say. Uh, it's warm. They're going to bury her quickly. Her yep. coffin is closed and fastened after the family members say goodbye um, in the church and on the way to the graveyard, the hearse has stopped after a noise is heard coming from the coffin. Oh, thank God. She doesn't She doesn't go underground. For no. <sighs> the lid is unfastened and she says, you're burying me alive! <laughs> <laughs> I love her. I'm in Sprankers and you're burying me alive! Holy Sprankers, you're going to bury me alive? 
You fucking sprankers. Um, and then the doctor who had fucking done this was like, hush, child, you're all right. It's a mistake easily rectified. Yeah, now, bro. Step off, bitch. She says <laughs> that soon after she had fainted, which is when they thought she was dead, um, she had recovered after being administered some stimulants. Cocaine. Yes, cocaine for their every ailment. <laughs> Except for getting alive. <laughs> um, she said that she had been conscious the entire time of the preparations for burial, but she couldn't cry out. <gasps> and she finally, she thought she was going to be buried alive like the whole way. And finally she was like, move your fucking body, sprankers. And oh. she, she was able to hit, you know, make a noise. That's the worst thing. Yeah. Knowing you're going to be, <laughs> oh my yeah. God. Yes. I'm not, I don't think I usually, have these feelings when we talk about terrible, terrible things to each no, other. Yeah. This one's getting to me. Yeah. I do not like well, it. Well, guess what? You're going to be there no! tonight. I will sprank you <laughs> so hard. Um, her cases among those included in the book Premature Burial and How It May Be Prevented by William Tebb and uh, Edward Volum. Um, so in 19... 19- Tab and Volum. Tab and Volum. They wrote the best books. Yeah. So another one is in 1937, a 19-year-old from France named Angelo Hayes. He goes for a fucking motorcycle ride, hits a fucking wall, fucking head first into a brick wall. Um, his head is mangled. He has no pulse. He's so terrible to look at that they're like, to his family, you can't see him. Yeah. Now, you know, it just sucks. He's declared dead and buried three days later. Oh no. But um the insurance company was like, We don't we don't buy it. Exhume the body. Because <laughs> they're insurance companies. They're like, we won't pay. Yeah, until we yeah. see. They discover that his body is still warm. No. And in the aftermath of the accident, his body had put him into a, a deep coma. Yes. And didn't need a lot of oxygen. So he's still fucking alive. After being buried alive, he received proper medical care and went on to make a full recovery. No. Away. What's his name? Angelo? Angelo Hayes. Wow, Angelo. Um, he, uh, he invented a type of security coffin after this. Why do I keep saying Kaftan? <laughs> you're you're saying Kaftan with a weird accent. I am just like dying to be in my Kaftan. Oh, Kaftan. Kaftan. <laughs> he tours across France showing off his, his security coffin. And uh, in it is a small oven, a refrigerator, and a hi-fi cassette player. No! Yeah. <laughs> That's what it says. So this was like in the 60s? Like later on? No. This was in the in 37, 1937. A hi-fi co- did you say cassette player? Did I hear that wrong? Is that what I meant? Cassette player. Hi-fi, hi-fi cassette player. Well, those are in quotes, so I didn't, yeah. Unless oh. Lily quote is quoting herself it's now. It's so funny. This, I'm questioning everything. You already said Lily's name, and I'm like, is that this? How the fuck would I know? <laughs> Lily's take, like, record can't be right. <laughs> She's like 22, too, so she wouldn't know. She's like, cassettes are from uh, 1843, <laughs> yeah, right? right? They're vintage. Okay. In 2007, a Venezuelan man named Carlos Camejo, he's 33, he's declared dead after an accident, a highway accident, taken to the morgue. Examiners begin their autopsy. Oh. Then he starts bleeding, which, you know, guess what, guys? Dead bodies don't bleed. Yeah. Right? Just, that's day one of medical school. Yeah. Remember that. <laughs> day one of autopsy school. <laughs> <laughs> he starts bleeding. And then he wakes up and he's in excruciating pain in the autopsy. Yeah, I bet. Because he's still alive. And that table's so cold. Oh, God. They quickly stitch him up. 
And his grieving wife had just turned up to ID him and then finds him in the hallway alive, which is so sweet. Oh, that's, yeah, good for her. Right. Then as recently as 2014. <laughs> so sweet. Like to be so bummed to be like, I have to do this. Oh, you're alive. Oh my God, you're alive. I Why do you have you? that huge scar? See, that's a romance story, not your fucking that's right. shitty. Not, you did great. <laughs> I didn't mean you. Um, there was also in 2014 a case of a woman being buried alive in Greece. She had succumbed to cancer and her children heard her screams coming from her grave. No. Not long after burial. She's exhumed and it was discovered that she actually died of cardiac arrest after she was buried. No. I know. You said, did you say 2014? Yeah, I did. Oh, man. Yeah. 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 Promise. Never mind. I don't want to jinx. Anyway. I will. I'll come and check your grave Thank and you. sniff your t- trumpet or whatever it was. <laughs> like, poke me with a safety pin or something. I'll make sure that the fireworks haven't gone off. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Uh, most of these modern cases are because of unforeseen circumstances and just plain bad luck. The possibility of <laughs> the possibility. The possibilities. <laughs> the possibility of being buried alive today is virtually impossible because of embalming. However, if by some... <laughs> 2014 was five years ago. I know, but it's Greece. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't know what that means. Some scientists say that, that you can survive up to 36 hours if, you're been, if you've been buried alive with the oxygen. So, like, keep okay. knocking. Keep knocking. Keep knocking. Shallow breaths. Make sure you get, um, make sure you get buried with, like, a tasty cakes in your pocket or something. <laughs> That's why I always have a protein bar. That's right. And a cell phone. Yeah. Right? It all depends on how much air is in the coffin. And those are stories of buried alive in a grave. Unbelievable. <laughs> in a coffin. In a coffin. Mm-hmm. Ooh, in a coffin in a coffin. There's, I love that because I really was getting upset. Really getting upset. That's a, you know, there's They're, a Ryan Reynolds movie where he is buried alive. No. And it's him and a lighter. It's very frustrating. It's, it's not the whole movie, but it's a lot of the and movie it's and it's insanity. Buried alive in a coffin. In a grave. <laughs> in, in a, a grave, grave. In a grave. In a grave. Wow. That was wow. amazing. Well, welcome to uh, hell. Basically fall. <laughs> <laughs> we're welcoming in fall. That's what we're doing. This That's episode. right. Yeah it's, yeah. it's exciting. Get your shirts with bats on them. Yeah. We're get get ready to transition out of summertime. What are you going to be for Halloween this year? I'm probably going to be buried alive in a grave, I think. <laughs> the film. The lead in the film. Perfect. Buried alive in a grave. <laughs> Let's make it. Let's make it as a student film. Okay. Let's go back to school. But the whole, yeah, but the whole thing is, um, it's much more like, it's like, uh, what's that movie? It's like uh, My Dinner with Andre, where it's the discussion about being buried okay. alive in a grave. So no one has to go into a coffin. But it gets like St. Elsewhere kind of-y, where it's like, is that the one? Or it's like... St. Elmo's Fire. Yes. Yeah. Where like someone that is like, well, I'm going to try it. Yeah. I'll try it. Robbie, you're so wild. Oh, my God. You're crazy. Melia Rob, Rob Lowe starts playing the saxophone. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of amazing cocaine use in that movie. <laughs> I fucking bet. Oh, I love it. Demi Moore, like, does way too much cocaine, and she opens all the windows in her room, and then there's this insanely 80s shot of her. I'm sure I've described this before, because it's... <laughs> Truly one of my favorite memories from my teen years. Yeah. And and this is how everyone in my family should have known that I was a drug addict waiting to happen. Because <laughs> that scene was like, 
I was like, yeah. Was she, she did, just doing cocaine? And- she did a ton of coke by herself and then was in her room holding her knees. She was, I think she was wearing like a shirt and no pants. Yeah. Holding her knees. All the windows were open and these long white curtains were blowing. And, and like, you really, were like, great. That looks fun. I was like, I love this. I want to do this. That looks lonely and cold. Her room, I think it's because she had high ceilings and the walls were painted mm. a cool color Romant- from what I remember. Romanticizing cocaine. I mean, it's one of the more romantic <laughs> elements in filmmaking. <laughs> Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant, like perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could, as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant-quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of Made In products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made in, made in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. If you're like me, you're always looking for a story to dive into. Whether it's a family drama or a mystery to solve, the key to getting hooked is the details. I need rich visuals and intricate storylines, and June's Journey has that and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young woman, on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murder. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. Explore beautifully designed scenes from the 1920s, like lavish estates and gardens, and don't forget to keep an eye out for hidden clues. There are twists, turns, and catchy tunes, all leading you deeper into the thrilling storyline. And if you play well enough, you could make it to the detective club. There, you'll chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out, you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Goodbye. What a collection of delightful stories. I think that collection is just prime mfm because it was equal parts joking around and riffing and discussion about a a terrifying horrible thing which is really isn't that why we're all here in the first place uh for karen's story we're gonna go to episode 183 here we back are uh where she talks about the mothman legend and the silver bridge collapse i have obvious connections to this one just through animation I'm with Georgia also in that I had never heard of Mothman before this, even though I'm a big fan of urban legends and here in the Pacific Northwest where I'm at, we've got Bigfoot, you know, we've got some of the big ones. But this one, I've always loved urban legends and the idea that that there's this spooky Mothman creature that appears and then vanishes in the wake of a disastrous bridge collapse is just 
just the the coolest, worst, best, awful, great thing. So uh, enjoy. And with that, I'm going to change gears on you. Great. As uh, as I am want to do, only because for me, it's still summer. Uh, yes. I don't want to let go of that endless summer feeling yet. No. And so uh, my story this week is going to be partly, it's actually partly a disaster story, but then it's also partly a cryptozoology legend. That's right. I'm doing the Mothman story. What? That's right. Tell me everything. Now, how much do you think you know about the Mothman? Literally zero. Is that true? I don't think so. You haven't even watched the Mothman Prophecies, the movie I've told you to watch about 20 times? I've not watched a single movie you told me to watch, ever. (laughs) (laughs) I keep meaning to have a night and just watch all Karen's movie recommendations. I'm going to make you a list. Oh, I have something for you. Oh. My friend Doug Jones, who's going to be DJing the night who I write about in the book stay sexy don't get murdered as being someone who likes to share weird obscure things like mr show oh and largo with yes made us a movie from the tv murder in texas the 1981 tv movie about the murder that you covered yes what was it Oh, God, this could be the one about the, the, the rich woman yes. and her and shitty her husband and her yes. father. The father, the husband killed her. She was into horses what and the father yeah. killed him. Yes. This was a live show that we did. I don't know if we've posted really? it. Really? Well, no. We must have posted it if he knows about it. I think it wasn't a live, Stephen. What were we talking about? Yeah, I know it was because we did it oh. in. Oh, that's right. It was like we were there. Texas? Yes, Texas. He <laughs> 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 said. You did? Good. Oh, and it's called Murder in Texas. Oh, my God. I shouldn't have taken that eighth shot. This is amazing. I know. Doug Jones, thank you. Thank you, Doug Jones. What? Joan Robinson Hill. Yeah. Joan Robinson Hill. Yes. Um, And her father had a, uh, like, a Texas guy's nickname. Bud. 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 It was dude. Hat. (laughs) Hat. Ash. (laughs) Ash. Ash Robinson. Ash Robinson. Oh, I was close. You were close with hat. Close with hat. <laughs> hat Robinson. I want my nickname to be Hat from now on. <laughs> okay, promise. Because <laughs> you wear hats so much. I do. Yeah. Thank or you. Wig. Thank you, Doug. This Thanks, is Doug. I'm so excited. Wait a second. I think this might star either Farrah Fawcett. Farrah Fawcett. That's yes. right. And maybe a Tommy I, Lee Jones. I think so. There? And I think we posted this. No, it was Sam the guy who should have a mustache all the time. Sam Neil. No, no. Sorry. Sam. Sam. Elliot. Thank you. <laughs> We got there. We got there. And it wasn't a live episode. <laughs> was not? <laughs> Shit. What right. episode was it, Stephen? Uh, 172. Okay. We did Was it, we had just come back from Texas and I, it was one I hadn't done there. Correct. Thank you. You can have that. Okay, thank I'll you. I'll give you that. I appreciate it. I'm going to get that one on a technicality. <laughs> okay, so we're talking now yeah. about one of my favorite stories. And uh, I have referenced on this show that to me, uh, of all things that are scary, the scariest one is people talking too fast on the phone. (gasps) My sister and I talk about this all the time. There's a part in the Mothman Prophecies where Richard Gere, the star of the Mothman Prophecies, which is basically an amalgamation of all of the witness stories put together in one. Creepy. So they kind of made it. And it's based on a book by an author named... 
Hold on, front back. Simply named. Simply named, and I quote John Keel. He wrote the book, The Mothman Prophecies, in 1975, and then they made this movie in 22. And Richard Gere was like, I'm on board. Richard Gere's like, this is my jam. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm. this is my vehicle. So these creepy things are happening to him as a reporter. This, It's completely, this version of it is not real. Yeah. But at one point, he's staying in this weird little hotel, and he picks up the phone, and there's weird feedback mm. and electrical noises. And then no. there's a voice that goes, <laughs> like that fast, creepy talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my sister and I decided one day, because I did it to her on the phone just to be funny. <laughs> never do that again. And she got so mad. And we decided that way too fast talking is the scariest thing. Yeah. That is. It's so scary yeah. and otherworldly. So anyway. Yeah. If you haven't seen The Mothman Prophecies starring Richard Gere... Oh, we're all going to watch it together. Please stream it on your local streaming services. <laughs> also, I got a lo- most of my information from an article on Ranker, the website oh. that works so hard and gets almost no credit. Such a good website. God bless you, Ranker. And then they're like, oh, you like this article? Well, here's 10 other ones you're going to fucking stay up all night reading. Yes, you're going to like all the rest of these articles as much, if not more. So good. Rabbit, so God bless rabbit Ranker. Rabbit hole. Um, and also the website, which I can, I'm starting to use more and more, Weird US, which basically mm. there's a book series that I used to read in the 90s called like Weird Los Angeles, yeah. Weird San Francisco. Fun. And it would have all the haunted places, creepy places, murder sites, whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of creepy of interest areas. Yeah. So now they're, it, they're all on one website cool. called Weird US. Love it. And, and then of course the Mothman prophecies. Okay. So this story took place in and around the cities of Point Pleasant, West Virginia and Gallipolis, Ohio, which I can't believe that's the way it's pronounced mm. when it looks exactly like Gallipoli. Mm. Um, Unacceptable. From, it really it made me really mad when Stephen looked it up for me. <laughs> um, from November of no, um, 1966 through December of 1967. So okay. this started happening November of 1966 and went on for a year. Um And these two cities sit directly across from each other across the Ohio River Mm -hmm. and or the the northern part of Gallipolis. It sits directly across from um, Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Got it. So the West Virginia side is best known for Mothman sightings, but it actually also happened over on the Ohio side as well. Okay. The Ohio River is between and it also kind of acts as the state line between West Virginia and Ohio. My my mind just blanked out. Geography. Don't resist geography because here's the thing. This is how we're learning about our great nation. <laughs> the thing we know nothing about. And also, did you even know West Virginia and Ohio were next to each other? No. <laughs> of course either. I did and I failed that class. I stared at this map for so long. Um, Okay. So the story begins November 12th, 1966, 80 miles southeast of Point Pleasant, West Virginia, and a little town. Oh, I didn't look up the name. Okay, I'll just pronounce this how I feel it. Let's hear it. Clendenin. That's right. C-L-E-N-D-E-N-I-N. Clendenin. Or it could be Clendenin. (laughs) Or it could be Clendenin. But... This is a little sleepy burg of about 1,500 people in Wikipedia says in 2010. Okay. Uh, over 1,200 so people. Probably there. tripled since then. I would like to think. Okay. So this is what happens. Get cut to. Okay. We're in a cemetery. Okay. Five grave diggers are digging a grave. Why are we here? <laughs> cut that out. No, leave it. So gross. It's like a weird thing coming out of my throat. I belched in the microphone, so <laughs> it's only fair. Okay. Um, five grave diggers 
digging a grave. They look up. They hear noise in the trees overhead. They look up to see a man-sized black bird with huge glowing red eyes fly out of the treetops and then down low to the ground near them and away. Okay, so it's not a man. It's just the size of one and it's a giant bird. Yes. I think think the word man being thrown in there is confusing. Man-sized. It was a hyphenate. Okay, got it. A man-sized bird. Got it. Um, So he didn't have like hands and arms. No. He didn't, he didn't have, like, weird eyebrows that need to get trimmed. <laughs> um, or, nope. It was just size-wise. Got it, got it, got it. You know, birds are usually the size of your arm or sure, smaller. Sure. Or fist. Not my man. Not, not, not Vince-sized. <laughs> okay. So, for me, immediately kicking this off, my cynic mind goes, when have there ever been five grave diggers anywhere? Sure. Unless this was a unionized cemetery yeah. from the late 60s. Yeah. You, two max. Totally. Three, maybe. What is this, fucking family annihilator? Yeah. <laughs> what, what, how do you get five? Why are you all together? And they're probably also fr- kind of freaked out a little because they're in a fucking graveyard digging. Yes. Uh, they might be used to it if it's their That's job. True. Unless they're just digging a grave and they're not professionals. Ooh. We don't know. It was the late 60s. Speculation. Anything could have happened back then. But then the fact that... Fa- so I was saying con that it's five because yeah. I'm not buying it. The con that it's grave diggers because, it, oh, it starts on a dark right. and spooky night right. or whatever. But then pro is the fact that five individuals came forward. So that's meaningful. Yeah. Yes. Um, although I'm sure they were ignored and humiliated by the authorities. Mm-hmm. But three days later on November 15th, Two young couples in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Their names are Roger and Linda Scarberry and Steve and Mary Millette. They report seeing a, quote, large flying man with 10-foot wings. Now, that's different than a man-sized bird. That's right. This is a man that flies with huge wings. I think someone wrote that down wrong. So, but this huge man-sized bird was following their car. Wait, man bird, though. Yeah. Okay, was following their car. Was following their car in an area known as the TNT area, which was the site of a former World War II munitions plant Mm. near Point Pleasant. Mm. They said his eyes glowed red when the car's headlights picked up, like shone on him, Mm -hmm. like a big man-sized deer in night vision. Okay. But a moth man. Got it. I'm here for this. (laughs) That didn't help. Okay. (laughs) You just said a bunch of words. Right. Then more sightings start coming in. On November 17th, so that's two days later, a teenage boy is driving down Route 7 near Cheshire, Ohio, and he sees a gray, man-shaped, 10-foot-tall creature with red eyes. Mm. Um, Based on the pictures, I think the reason they're saying man-shaped and Mm man-sized is because it's got wings, Mm -hmm. but two legs. Ew. Yes. And also, the the head stops mid-wing and doesn't go up above it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it doesn't oh. look like a man wearing like wings. A hawk who's got a little yeah, it's like, in here. Yes. Okay. The head's down low, almost like below the wings. But it's a bird head, not a man head. But uh, the head part is a question mark. Okay. Okay. Oh, Stephen has a great. Stephen has a bunch of pictures. Which, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me take a look. Oh, God, I just closed it. Stephen, what's your, <laughs> what's your password? I'll say it on the on air. C A T Z. Cat. Five, five, oh, five, cat. It's like a. An owl who has eyes in his chest. Yeah, we'll come back to that part. Okay, that's creepy as 
fuck. We'll it's, post that on. It's very upsetting. My favorite murder on Instagram. My uh, all our <laughs> socials. Go on. <laughs> okay, so so this teenage boy driving down Route Seven sees this tall, gray, uh, man-shaped, ten-foot-tall creature. Mm-hmm. That's bad enough. But then he tells the authorities that as he sped away, it followed his car. <laughs> yeah. So very creepy and spooky. Then about two weeks later, we're back over in Ohio at the Gallipolis Airport and or Gallipolis, sorry, mm-hmm. Gallipolis Airport. Thank you. Five pilots. Five. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, circle with a circle in red and put a question mark above. Five pilots see what at first they believe to be a weird airplane flying at 70 miles an hour. Then they realize is a some sort of large bird with a long neck. Why are there five pilots on one plane? Is well, <laughs> we don't know if oh. if they were if they were separate and it was five reports. Okay. If they if they just loaded a plane filled with pilots of like we have to get this thing where it's going. We Everyone's need- a little sleepy, so if everyone takes a turn. It'll be great. One awake a co-pilot equals four <laughs> sleepy co-pilots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, back then, did all men spend time in groups of five? <laughs> and is that why things are f- so fucked up now? I trust pilots. I do, too. Do you? I do. Well, Except also, when you find out, like, one of them, they get arrested because they're drunk trying to fly a plane. Yeah, but that never happens oh. almost hardly ever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> joking, JK. Um so that so then it is credit credible yeah, 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 because yeah. they see a lot of stuff. Sorry, gravediggers, I trust you too. But. <laughs> we we absolutely trust you. Yes, but you see creepy stuff. Yeah. You're creeped out a lot. Yeah. There's a Scooby Doo element to being a gravedigger. <laughs> that right. when you're a pilot, you're just like I've got everything on lock. Yeah, and yeah. I must. I'm from the Air Force. So <laughs> so then on December seventh, four adult women. Because it's women, so it has to be one less. Four adult women are driving up Route 30. I'm saying these roads like we know them at all. Oh, sure. Route 30. You know Route 30. It's I all take windy. it to the, 10, to, the, to the 110, to, the, to Route <laughs> to 30. To the Route 30. <laughs> okay, so they're driving up Route 30, and they see what they report to be a brownish, silver, man-shaped creature with glowing red eyes. Perfect. So you can rely on the women to get accurate about that color. Yeah. Maybe yeah. the sun was setting. Crimson. They're like crimson. <laughs> There's like, he was either super tan. Big apple red. That's what I paint my toenails. (laughs) So, okay. So authorities are baffled, probably very scared, because they keep on hearing these stories of people seeing creepy shit. Yeah. So the um, Mason County, West Virginia sheriff, comes up with a totally logical answer to this mystery. Mm -hmm. Um, He claims that everyone's seeing an unusually large heron. Uh, that has gone off of its normal migration route. Huh. And he refers to the bird, whether it's a term, local terminology or it, he's just mad. He calls it a shit, shite poke. Shite oh. poke. What's that? I don't know. Uh, I know. It might be slang. Okay. Um, Then a wildlife biologist at West Virginia University tells reporters that the descriptions of the Mothman all fit the Sand Hill Crane, which is a large American crane with a seven-foot wingspan that's as tall as a grown man Mm. with reddish circles around the eyes, um, and that that it could be just this type of crane that's somehow Say you're taking a fucking shortcut down an alley. Stephen is showing me this crane. <laughs> That's a that is a fucked up crane. Let me see. I haven't I haven't looked. What if you run into that crane Holy in an alley? Fuck. That's a fucking ugly. I don't creepy. like the shite poke. <laughs> the sandhill crane's pretty serious. Yeah. They're big. Big. 
And he has but, like an eye, it looks like an eye mask, like a sleep mask that's red. That's bright red. Yeah. So, okay. Frightening. Frightening. Here's my problem. This bird is white, as as are many cranes. Mm-hmm. These are white, gray, a little bit brown. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not buying it. Okay. Maybe also, everyone was on acid. I mean, this was definitely when acid started getting popular. <laughs> so I would not argue you. Maybe it's like the Salem witch trials where there was mold on the grain that they were that Ooh. made their head. Did you hear about Is that? Is that why? Theory? That's one of the theories, and I fucking love it because I'm obsessed with mold. <laughs> AK, what? Hence, fucking. Uh, this podcast will kill you being yeah. on our network. It's yeah. amazing. Um, that there was mold, this mold on the grain that they used to make the bread and everyone went fucking hallucinogenic psycho. Psilocybin style. Exactly. Yes. Hell yeah. Read, read about it. Okay. People. Um, not now, right? No. Later? Please okay. listen to this podcast. Okay. So essentially now we've got the crane theory in the mix okay. and people are like, phew, it's just a crane. Right. It's just a huge man-sized crane. Yeah, calm down. Okay, but none of the witnesses who hear this say they saw a crane. Right. They're like, no, it's, it's it's simply not I that. I know what a fucking crane is. Yeah, don't you professor. dare condescend to me, professor. <laughs> so, including a man who's a contractor named Neil Newell Partridge, and he argues that the theory doesn't explain all these weird electrical um, interferences that he's been getting at his house since he spotted the Mothman in a field on his property. And he basically saw it in a field and put up a flashlight, saw the glowing red eyes and was like, that was no crane. And here's how I know, because since I saw the Mothman, my German shepherd has disappeared. What? That doesn't mean anything. Yeah, it ate. It ate the dog. Oh, got it, got it, got it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or, or did it run away and join the Mothman? <laughs> join that crane. And they became a fucking dynamic duo. The crane carries the German Shepherd in, like a Aww. little baby, Aww. a newborn baby. In his mouth. And they're like, fuck migration patterns. We're going wherever <laughs> we want in West Virginia. We're going to do it. Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> Noel Partridge is like, yeah. no, something weird's going on. I know it. My dog knew it. Do something about it. So now there's a reporter named Mary Heyer, who is a correspondent for the Athens, Ohio newspaper. A called woman. The Messenger. Yeah, in the 60s. In the 60s. She wore the highest of heels. So she begins writing about all these strange sightings that she's seeing coming over the telegraph. I don't know if that's what, it, what it's called. <laughs> is that the telegraph? <laughs> what? A mothman, you say? Why? Why? There hasn't been a Mothman around here in, <laughs> in about 25 years. A really short amount of time. People start calling. So she starts writing about it yeah. in the messenger, the Athens messenger. Sure, sure. Then people start calling her and telling her when they see UFOs, odd experiencing odd electrical interferences like Newell did. Mm-hmm. Um, they also start hearing weird humming sounds coming up out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. On one particularly busy weekend, she got over 500 calls <gasps> from people in the area saying that they had been seeing strange lights in the sky. 500. 500 calls in one weekend. Holy shit. So she's something like, leave me alone. I'm trying to sleep. How'd <laughs> you get this number? She's like, I'm just trying to report the news. Yeah. There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound... 
means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com slash murder. And here's the important note, that promo code is all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level. That's shopify.com slash murder. Again, don't forget the code is all lowercase. Goodbye. So here's, this is uh, John Keel, who I already told you is the author of the book, The Mothman Prophecies from Mm -hmm. 1975, upon which the classic Richard Gere film is loosely based, Mm. loosely. Mm. Um, And he is basically considered to be the foremost authority on these Mothman stories. Um, He claims that between November of 1966 and November of 1967, at least 100 people personally witnessed the Mothman in the Ohio and West Virginia area. Wow. Now... On the uh, Wikipedia page, it goes on to, when it gets into the debunking stage, talk about how none of these people, nobody could to track them down. But I just told you people's names because they were like, there's no real names and nobody and you can't track them down. But it's like just because people have died since 1967 doesn't mean they didn't have the experience they had. Right. So fuck you, (laughs) (laughs) professor. Why are we mad at this? (laughs) The scientists always take the most shit. Okay, And. This the sightings of uh, strange creatures in the sky is not new for this area. Um, in the early 1900s, that area was known for reports of thunderbirds, which in cryptozoology are uh, known as they're giant birds with 12 foot wingspans that were spotted flying up and down the Ohio River Valley. Stephen, do you mm. want to look up thunderbirds? Because this is a real thing. Now, the pictures that you find on the internet they could very well be hoaxes but thunderbirds are kind of legendary Wait, tell me what they are again they're humongous birds a lot of people think that are somehow holdovers kind of Loch Ness yeah, monster yeah. style or like from like pterodactyls exactly they're like leftover dinosaur birds that come in and are just like what's that a toddler <gasps> goodbye oh no and it happened to like the pioneers and stuff oh shit yeah so this is a this is a story that's been going on for a while there's also stories of similar types of creatures that would ascend from the sky that um native americans and first nation people have always told right. where if a certain type of cloud would come in they'd be like get all the kids inside mm. because those evil uh things now I can't remember what birds those evil thunderbird type animals are coming oh my so God. this is not this isn't new yeah, yeah, in any yeah. way is my point wait Stephen let me see you I think find? this is it like a drawing there was some cars showing up the thunderbird <laughs> of course there were you can't tell the size but it's real ugly 
Majestic. <laughs> ugly in a majestic. Majestic in an ugly way. This looks like if your high school mascot is the Falcon. Yeah, it does. There's nothing. Stephen, there was actually a picture I was talking about. <laughs> Wait, is it the science picture with the scientist? With the giant? Read his yes. text. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah you yeah. know what? Read his text. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Stephen, can you bring up that picture? Yeah, he yeah. brings up a pencil drawn. There might as well, it might as well say Alex P underneath it or like. <laughs> or yeah, have like a. That's the one I was looking for. Have a Stussy. <laughs> Look at that big ass bird. Holy shit. Stephen, will you post this, post this picture yeah, also? Yeah. And that's also, not... Stephen, will you find out if that picture is a hoax? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's insane. It's so oh, if crazy. it's a hoax, they'll tell us. That's a hoax. There's no way there's that big of a bird. This is the fun part of the show where we're going to say something's real and it's your job to tell us if it's a hoax. But say it angrily. Yes. Make sure that you act like we are always supposed to get everything right. That's right. We should because do better. We're your primary source of news. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so what what we're saying is just that that big, huge bird-like things in the sky is not new for this yeah. Ohio Valley area. Get with it. Ohio River Valley area. I don't know if it's a valley. That's how I go wrong, is adding in words like that. Okay, so all of the witnesses. Here's here's the difference, though. In this period of between 1966 and 1967, all the witnesses who reported seeing the Mothman gave similar descriptions. It was whiter than a man, but had human-like legs. Mm. Um, that its eyes were set near the top of the shoulders, which is the creepiest yeah. aspect of it. Yeah. And that it had bat-like wings that glided rather than flapped when it flew. And when it flew away, it ascended straight up into the air like a helicopter. <gasps> and it flipped you off on the way out. <laughs> it said, bye, bitches. Bye, Every bitch, time it said, bye, bye bitches. <laughs> which is rude. <laughs> It'd say, well, they didn't know at the time what it meant, but hashtag, bye, bitch. <laughs> bye, bitch. Like, what's a it, hashtag? It said it really fast. <laughs> Scary. So scary. Witnesses also described the murky skin as either being gray or brown and that it emitted a humming sound when it flew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that? <laughs> like it was nervous in the grocery store? <laughs> Again, and I probably said this before, if you're ever near a person who just starts whistling or humming, you're getting your pocket picked and you need to keep your eyes open. You need to get put that head... Just start punching, I think is the answer. <laughs> but first, start by punching behind Yeah, you. you be the weird one. If someone's humming near you, become the weird one and just start punching. Yeah, because you can just, you can always stop and walk away. They're still the weird one that's humming. We are so back, baby. Okay. Can you feel it? Can you feel the energy of it? Okay, so. Oh, <laughs> this is my favorite sentence of this, of all of this research. The humming sound when it flew, and then it says, it was also incapable of speech. It communicated with a screeching sound. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so thank God it didn't land in front of your car with its red eyes. And I was like, what's up, Jerry? I'm here to freak the fuck out of you. It's never like that. You mean it talked like a bird? <laughs> <laughs> but I bet it hummed. <laughs> anyway, what's, what's up in your car? Okay, so so all of this is fun and creepy and right. weird and cryptozoological, which is kind of my favorite, yeah, yeah, yeah. as we know. But, and maybe not true, as okay. also my favorite. I believe it. But here's the part that's interesting and factual. These sightings continue for a year up until disaster strikes. <gasps> the evening of December 15th, 1967. And uh, there, all these commuters are sitting in their cars in traffic waiting to cross the Silver Bridge, which connects Point Pleasant, West Virginia, and Gallipo- Gallipolis. Gallipolis? Uh-huh. It's Gallipolis. Yeah. 
and Gallup Police, Ohio, which are on either side of the Ohio River. Got it. So the Silver Bridge is a is a span bridge. It was built in 1928, and uh, about 4,000 cars a day cross it. Wow. Um, and that is very different since the 40 years uh, ago when it was built. Uh, um, I said I wrote since its erection. Shut up. Um, <laughs> But the bridge has never been updated or rebuilt to accommodate the increasing drive time con- congestion. Uh-oh. So here's the way it happened. And I found this story, um, these stories from a website called Timeline.com. Because I just put in Silver Bridge Disaster Timeline. Mm-hmm. And then there's a website called Timeline.com. Hmm. God bless it. And it had these stories on it. Okay. So around 5 p.m., there's a woman named Charlene Wood who's on the getting on the bridge to get home from her job at a hair salon. She's pregnant. She's been working all day. She just wants to get home. On her fucking feet. All around her, there's trucks, there's commuters, and there's um, people shopping for Christmas because it's almost Christmas. Okay. Beginning in December. Suddenly, she feels the bridge shake. Now, apparently, because this is a span bridge. What um, does that mean? A span bridge is kind of it's like built similarly to it's it's one where it goes over a river over a body of water. Mm-hmm. So it has to suspend itself. Mm. But it's, I guess a span bridge. I'm not going to be able to explain this correctly, but like the Golden Gate Bridge is technically a span bridge, but it's the cables on it that hold it Got up it. and keep it out. And so it's way, not like pillars. Instead, it's like holding itself up with. Yeah. Tension. Exactly. But these, the way this bridge was built was flat pieces of metal that were a foot wide and like two inches thick. Okay. As opposed to, um, you know, the Golden Gate Bridge is just all those uh, cables. Yeah. So there is a tiny, and I think they, in the end, they found out that it was like a three millimeter Mm. wide flaw in Mm. the steel on one of the spans. But it had been there for so long. There was no way to inspect it unless they would have to like look at every single inch of the bridge. Right. But it, but. But nothing had ever been checked or updated or ever. So over the years and the way this bridge, it would move with the cars and with um, whatever. So people said it was very common to be on the silver bridge and have the whole thing move yeah. and shake and do stuff. Yeah. And it was just kind of people were used to it. But over the years, this thing kind of wore away and wore away until this day. So Charlene... Uh, is sitting there and she feels the bridge shake really hard. So she real quick decides to throw her car into reverse and back up as far as she can. And luckily she can because one minute later, 60 seconds later, the cars in front of her begin sliding down (gasps) off the bridge and into the river. The, the, um, the bridge had collapsed and the cars were just going in. Holy shit. And she had somehow miraculously been able to back up to solid ground and get off the, like, the part that had collapsed. Oh my God. Yeah. And she said, and the water, of course, it's December, it's freezing, the water's 40 degrees. She said, it was like someone had lined up dominoes. I could see cars' lights flashing as they went tumbling into the water. Oh. The car in front of me went in, and then there was silence. <gasps> so she was the last car that before they stopped Holy going into the water. Shit. Um, a truck b- driver named Bill Needham is midway across the bridge when it collapses. He's thrown into the water, but he's able to escape because he has a half-rolled-down window. Oh, my God. And he was quoted as saying, I didn't know how far I had to go up when he means like swim back up. Yeah. 
Um, he says, but I could tell that the water, uh, I could tell the water kept getting lighter. So that's basically how he knew what direction Holy to swim. Shit. He used a box that was floating in the water because basically there's all these trucks and all these cars. So yeah. there's just stuff in the water. Yeah. So the people that were able to get out of their cars and get to the surface were grabbing things to hold on to because he, Bill didn't get rescued out of the water for 15 minutes. Oh my God. He was in, uh, 40, I think they said it was 40 degree water for 15 minutes. Holy shit. His partner, Robert Toe, did not make it out of the truck. Aww. He died in that truck. And so did 18-year-old Marjorie Boggs, who was driving her husband, Howard, and their 17-month-old child Aww. across the bridge when it collapsed. Um, Howard was pulled to, pulled to safety by a rescue boat, and the first thing he said to the crew when he got on board was, I just hope to God Marjorie and the kid got out okay. Marjorie and her baby and Howard's baby's bodies were found six weeks later oh. in the in the car in the in the river. Oh, State Trooper Rudy Odell, who was 31 years old at the time, was one of the first officers to respond to the disaster. And he said, quote, I could hear them hollering for help. I didn't know how many there were at the time. There was absolutely nothing I could do. It was a long way out into the water. Mm -hmm. So he's basically on yeah. one side of the river looking out yeah. at these people. What is he going to jump into 40 degree water and try to like. Yeah. And, th and that's not the way you save people no. when they're when they're drowning. No. Um, so in all, 31 cars went into the Ohio River that day, sending 64 people into its 44 degree waters. Oh, so it's 44 degrees. Of the 64 people who went in, 46 of them died. Holy shit. The Silver Bridge collapse remains the deadliest bridge disaster in United States history. President Lyndon Johnson released a statement saying all Americans were shocked by the cruel tragedy and loss of life and assembled a task force, the task force on bridge safety to mount an investigation. And forensic analysis traced the problem to a small stress crack. Um, mm. Inside the bearing loop of I-bar 330. So the I-bars were the things holding it up. No sightings of the Mothman were reported again in the Point Pleasant area after that day. What? Yeah. So that's why people connect. There's the the theory is that the Mothman appeared trying to warn people about this tragedy that was coming. Mm. If that is the case, he did not do a good job. Of I it. mean, it, could, it must have been the only I can screech yes. part. Write something down. Yeah. Speak um, in human tongue. Yeah. Sorry, Mothman. That it's just the truth. Okay. That you, whatever you did, all you did was freak people out yeah. and you were not on message. But good try. In nineteen sixty nine the Silver Bridge was replaced by the Silver Memorial Bridge, which was a mile downstream of the original. And there is a memorial installed in Point Pleasant to commemorate the forty six bridge collapse victims. That's so sad. It's horrible. But and I think I think the reason that legends like this pop up, because a lot of, you know, the theories are that there's always been this legend mm -hmm. in, in like these stories and that it come, it comes up after the fact. Right. Because people want to lace some kind of that, that there would be help or something out of this just yeah. senseless tragedy where in the middle of the day at Christmas time, Aye. all these people just got dumped in the river S and died. So it's this, there is, a lore and a legend around it like something was there and it could have helped but also i think it's that idea that like that maybe some somebody's watching us yeah. could help us prevent these tragedies in in the future if we just knew how to pay attention to them correctly right um and understood screeching yeah exactly now on an up note 
Point Pleasant held, held its first annual Mothman Festival in 2002. Oh, really? And a 12-foot-tall metallic statue of the creature, created by artist and sculptor Bob Roach, was unveiled in 2003. Yes, there are pictures. Wow. Um, and it's much more silver and beautiful than uh, any of the drawings <laughs> or illustrations. <laughs> and also much, much taller yeah. than the way people uh, described it. The Mothman Festival is a weekend-long event held on the third weekend of every September, mm. and there are a variety of events that go on during the festival, such as guest speakers, vendor exhibits, a Mothman pancake eating contest. Yes! Can we go? Could we please? Can we be the speakers? I mean, we have to hit the Circleville Pumpkin, That's right. pumpkin Festival first. Right. I think this should be number two. Yeah. Um, oh, and then also the Cheese Festival in Wisconsin. Yes, that's right. In... Athens, Wisconsin? I think so. Isn't it some kind of a other foreign city name? You're so smart. Stephen, <laughs> thank you. Um, I just love that it's a Mothman pancake eating contest. Like, moths love pancakes. <laughs> if you're going to have you a don't legit... Know. You have a how about you have a wool suit eating contest, because that's the real deal. <laughs> My vintage dress eating contest. <laughs> yes, exactly. It'd be way harder, way longer, mm. but much more accurate. Um, there's also hayride tours focusing on the notable areas of Point Pleasant. Um, and there's now a Mothman re- Museum and Research Center that opened in 2005, run by someone named Jeff Wamsley. Good job, Jeff. Jeff, if that's still open, God bless you. Mm-hmm. It'd be amazing to go look at that. That's right. Uh, and that's the legend of the Mothman and the tragedy of the Silver Bridge collapse of 1967. Wow, that was not what I was expecting. Great job. Right? Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't feel like getting fully back into the full tragedy. No, I get it. That was a good one. And you Just know, a touch of it at the end. I feel like, you know, we can do stuff like that now. And we do this We do this at live shows a lot of the times, too, of like um, urban legends and stuff like that. Yeah. I feel like let's, now well, that we're back. It's storytelling. It's storytelling. This is new. We, we don't need to find the world's worst murder every week. It can also be <laughs> stories like this. And I like that. Spooky. Uh, so that was the story of Mothman. Uh, like I had mentioned beforehand, uh, my connection to that is there is an animation I did of a portion of that story where they talk about the description of Mothman, hashtag buy bitches and all that good stuff. If you want to check that out, head to the Exactly Right Media YouTube channel and you can give that a watch. This has been a delight to join you all on this episode of My Favorite Murder as a guest host. And now I get to end it with the iconic phrase, stay sexy and don't get murdered. Bye. Elvis, do you want a cookie?